the good, the bad, the ugly. Welcome to Sustain Nutrition's podcast, Chewing the Fat, where Joe and James will be discussing all things good, bad and ugly regarding training and nutrition. So pull up your pants, put your best foot forward and get ready for some serious oral pleasure. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Joe and James. So Sustain Nutrition, Chewing the Fat, episode 116, I think, getting there. Um, We are talking to... God, I'm going to struggle through this again now. Jillian Teets, is that right? It's right, you did it. <laughs> yeah, okay, taking taking it easy on me. The sober scientist. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to getting stuck into this one. It's going to be quite a meaty podcast, a very, I suppose, kind of serious subject, but we'll see how lighthearted we can keep it within reason. But Jillian, would you like to introduce yourself, a bit about you, what you do now, your journey, I suppose, and then we'll get into the questions. Yeah. So first of all, thank you both for having me. Welcome. Um, so I celebrated two years of sobriety a couple weeks ago, oh, yeah. um, which felt really cool. So now I'm in long-term sobriety. So I feel extra special with that. Um, I'm 31 for people listening who can't see what I look like. Um, and I work as a biochemist in the Boston area. So I and start drinking until kind of later in life. I was 22. And before that, um, I used food or lack of food to deal with overwhelming emotions and problems in my life. And because food and alcohol, um, they don't really mix. Like my goal was to be as thin as possible. So drinking was like never an option for me. I just had no interest in it. And then when I started to heal my food-related issues with therapy at 22, I also started to drink. And by the time I started getting much um, healthier with my eating disorder, I was drinking every single day. And then now I had this new thing. Um, And it took me seven years of drinking and suffering to get out of it. My rock bottom moment Um, was very bad mental health. I became very suicidal at the end of my drinking. um, I developed anxiety and I stopped drinking for 90 days. Um, Not because I wanted to try out sobriety and, and see if not drinking would help me, but because I wanted to reset my tolerance and cure myself so that I could drink moderately. Um, So unfortunately, after the 90 days, I went back to drinking and I went back to blowing up my life. And then I hit the same rock bottom again, which was the suicidal thoughts and the anxiety. And at that point, I realized like, that's just how alcohol and and I mix. And there's no hope for changing that relationship. And having, having both of those experiences really helped me accept that. I just can't drink. Um, and it's been a little bit over two years. Fantastic work. And thank you. Really appreciate you being so open and, and kind of and honest with us there. So 
with the, you know, kind of what you say, the 90 days, how did you find that? Did you see that as like, this is just a short term, we've got 90 days, then I'm going to go back to drinking. Um, and then kind of what, what was the, I suppose, the, the progression from that? Did you go straight back in or did you manage to moderate for a short amount of time? Yeah, good question. So I had been obsessed with moderation for five years at that point. So I, I started drinking and within the year became a daily drinker. And then the following year, my tolerance had doubled. And that's what made me realize that I was drinking too much. So that's when I started to moderate. So I had been trying for five years with no success. Um, a therapist had actually challenged me to seven days sober uh, two years before I did the 90 days. And the goal was like to see if I was an alcoholic or not. So I was highly motivated to do those seven days, even though I wasn't um, someone who took days off from drinking. So I did the seven days, not an alcoholic, great, back to business. And then that's why I said 90, um, because I didn't feel like 30 would be enough to cure me. Um, 90 isn't either. And like 1 million days also wouldn't be enough either. But that's why I picked 90, because I thought there was something really special about that number. And then when I went back to drinking, um, day 91 was actually my 29th birthday. So I thought like, this is a sign from the universe that I'm doing the right thing. And now we'll be able to moderate and drink like everybody else, like, look at me. Um, and I did actually moderate for the first time ever. I had, I'd have two drinks on Saturday night with my husband out on a date and I didn't want any more. I wasn't resisting drinking the other six days of the week. And I thought like, I finally did it. I would go to parties and not drink because there would just be like too much alcohol and I didn't, I didn't think that I would be able to like moderate and stop. So I was even like not drinking socially. I had stopped going out with my friends because I want like moderating was so important. And then um, two months after that, we went on a cruise and that's where it fell apart because we had the drink package. And on cruises, you just like, doesn't everybody just wake up and drink? until they go to bed and then do that again every day for the cruise. Like it's a pretty normal behavior. Uh, so I did that and I was like, I'll live my life, enjoy my vacation. It's a special occasion. And I humiliated myself so many times on that trip. It was awful. Um, it was my first time in Europe and like, I totally ruined it for myself. And then I came back and I was right back to drinking every single day with zero control. Um, so it was like just a quick change. It wasn't like a slow descent into horrible drinking again. So you mentioned that it's been two years now, which is, which is awesome. What's your craving for it like now and how has that changed over time? Yeah, so because I associate alcohol with uh, being suicidal, I it's not like an option for me in my mind anymore. So I had... I had a couple triggers like in the past two years that normally I would just like get super drunk and like check out and whatever. And that was my first instinct, like screw everybody. I don't care, whatever. And then my next thought was like, well, you can't really do that anymore. So then I would go through like other things that I could do. So 
I think about it a lot. I'm around drinking a lot. I'm the only person in my, in real life that does not drink. Um, so like my husband will drink around me, my brother, like my friends. So I, it's on my mind. I have a very special skill. I don't know if you guys know any sober people, but we developed a special skill that we can um, find all of the alcohol in the room instantly whenever we walk into a room. <laughs> like if I go to a restaurant, I just like can locate everybody's drink. And I know like how much they've had, how fast they're drinking, how many drinks they've ordered since I've been there. And it's just like this background thing that I am aware of. So it's like always present in my life every day because it's you know, every TV show you watch, alcohol is there, but I don't see it as an option anymore. You like the like the Jess and Bond of alcohol <laughs> assessing the so room. Lucky. <laughs> so, so you were drinking for about seven years. That sound right? That, that, yeah. I'm not. I'm not the maths guy, Joe. Is. Um, at any point in that, did or what point in that did you realize that you had a problem? Um, not till. The day I stopped, I was convinced that I could figure it out, that I was not like anyone else. I questioned myself a couple of times, like when I went to that therapist um, about like two-ish years before I stopped, I went to ask her, like, how do you know if you're an alcoholic or not? So I had been kind of questioning things, um, but I really believed like I would figure it out. I just had to find the right moderation strategy. And what was the tipping point when you realized that you had been, how do I phrase it, not being truly honest with yourself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so there, so I would drink every day. Um, and then probably like three to four nights a week, I would get like pretty drunk. And on those nights, <laughs> I, on That's those nights. Joining in. <laughs> Come on, sorry. That's okay. I have a cat who's like, She's not here yet, but she hears the voice in the interview and she's yeah. like always up here. Um, what was I saying? So we say kind of what was the, the kind of tipping point you were talking about, what your drinking routine was. You were drinking most days, but then getting drunk kind of three to four days. Oh, yeah. So I was getting drunk about four nights a week and I would go to sleep, jolt awake in the middle of the night. And those were the nights that I had, like all the anxiety and the suicidal thoughts. And I would actually force myself to stay awake, um, which didn't help my hangovers. But I would force myself to stay awake and think about how much I hated myself and what a loser I was. And I would stay awake like till the sun came up doing that. And on the very last night that I drank, it just got really scary, like the things that I was thinking and I realized like sometimes I'm home alone, like my husband will go to a conference or he'll go on a motorcycle trip. And I realized like if I'm doing this and having these thoughts home by myself, I could do something about it. And like even in all my craziness, I realized like I didn't actually want that, even though I was thinking about it all the time. And that's what allowed me to finally like get to that acceptance and stop so what do you feel is i know you mentioned about anxiety there what do you feel the link between alcohol and anxiety are or from your perspective yeah so a lot of people don't know the link and a lot of people drink to cope with their anxiety um, so people with anxiety 
are three times more likely to develop a problem with alcohol compared to people that do not have anxiety. Um, and I don't normally have anxiety. I developed alcohol induced anxiety. Um, it just like changes your brain in that way. So it changes the balance between neurotransmitters in the brain because alcohol slows down your brain activity. That's why it makes you feel like you're having fun or like easier to be social. It slows down your brain. And that's also why you feel relaxed and less anxiety. But your brain tries to maintain this balance at all times. So it's going to speed up your brain to bring you back to normal. So when the alcohol wears off at three o'clock in the morning, your brain is extra excited and it's going faster than it should be. And that's why you feel anxious. And that will especially happen when people try to stop. There's like this horrible cycle between trying to stop and then your anxiety gets worse. And then people go back to drinking because of this heightened anxiety and they're just suffering so much. And um, even, even social drinkers will have the same problem. You don't have to be drinking in the way that I was drinking, even um, my husband, who's just like a regular moderate drinker, um, even he feels extra anxiety. Like if we go to a wedding or something and he's drinking kind of a lot, he'll feel it the next day, like very anxious. Because I suppose, yeah, in, you know, our clientele or what we see, or even, you know, in kind of, I suppose, like the, the British culture, you know, or maybe around the world, you know, people will go like, I've had a stressful day. And I suppose this is when it pops up a lot for our clients is I've had a stressful day or I'm worried about this and they'll have a drink or a couple of drinks to kind of take the edge off. And then I suppose that's just fueling the problem, isn't it? Because then, you know, if you've got all these thoughts going through and then you have half a bottle of wine or a few beers or something that, like you said, slows down the brain, but then that speeds it back up again. And then when that booze is worn off, then you're going to feel even worse. Um, so, how do you feel or what should people look out for if they do suspect maybe that they've got some issues with alcohol? Like I said, you're talking about moderating and, uh, and restraint. Like what should people be looking out for? If you are questioning it, um, it's probably because you do have a problem with it. I think that's the easy, like I would take, am I an alcoholic quizzes on Google? I would search like, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? And I wish like all of those resources that would pop up had just been like, you are, because <laughs> you Googled it. Um, people <laughs> who can, <laughs> it's that simple. People who can control their drinking and stop when they want to stop, don't ask themselves those questions. They don't wonder like, Ooh, am I am I an alcoholic? Like, do I have a problem? If they have like some negative health effects or something from their drinking, they just back off. And if you can't back off, or if you're questioning yourself all the time, it's because like deep down, you know, that there's something there. Like I had been questioning it for so many years. Um, and it's just because I had a problem. I knew it. How would you approach this situation there when someone doesn't know that and say they're in, in denial about the situation? Is that something that you need to let someone gets their own conclusions with? Can you nudge people along? What, how would you advise someone on that? Yeah, denial is so strong. Um, it's really hard. And it's hard to see someone that you love and care about just like ruining their lives. And you know, like, 
dude, it's your drinking. Like if you could just not do this thing, like your life would be so good. But when we're in that, like our brain isn't working correctly. We're not thinking clearly around 60 days of sobriety, the brain starts to come back to life and you get this big burst of mental clarity and you can finally like think straight and like actually look at the world. Like it's a really amazing feeling um, that you guys, I hope will never experience because <laughs> you have mental clarity all the time. But because of that, like you can't even see the truth about your drinking. And that's why breaks are really helpful. So I think encouraging someone to do dry January, um, cause that the seven days that I did, it wasn't enough. I just did it to prove a point, but I was still like withdrawing from my daily drinking, but by a month you've been removed from it for so long that you can make the connection between your drinking and like whatever the suffering is. So when I did 90 days, um, right around like the one to two month mark, that's when I realized like, whoa, I haven't had anxiety or suicidal thoughts since I stopped drinking. And I finally like connected that where before I just believed that I was a suicidal person and like, oh, now I have an anxiety problem on top of everything else. So I think encouraging someone to do like a challenge with you could be a good way to, to get their mental clarity back. I think a lot of the pieces that we deal with, well, deal with, work with clients on is is challenging beliefs, you know, around food choices or thought patterns that they have. So something like that, yeah, is really, really powerful, isn't it? Like if you can do 30 days or you say 60 days or 90 days, you get kind of evidence as to whether this is adding to your life or whether it's subtracting from your life or whether it's adding to the damage, like you said, you know, and then all of a sudden you go, I stopped drinking and then I stopped having these thoughts and then I stopped having anxiety. That's one plus one equals two. You know, we're, we're good to go now. So how has your life changed since you've, you know, over the last two years, let's say, since you've been sober? Oh, it's changed in literally every way. Um, my life on the outside, I looked like a normal, successful person. I was working as a biochemist doing cancer research, like I had this cool job. I have a house that I live in. I'm married. Um, I was financially okay. Like nothing bad was happening, but internally, like everything sucked. I hated myself so much. Like it was, I used to wake up every morning and my husband would go in the shower and get ready for work. And I would be sitting like about to do my makeup and I would look myself in the mirror and just repeat, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And I would like make myself cry and all these horrible things. And it took time, like you don't stop drinking and then you're instantly like self-love, look at me. Um, it took about six months before I stopped like having bad thoughts about myself and my body image improved. The time that I really realized it was I walked by a mirror and instead of being like, your arms are fat, you are ugly, you suck, like you look horrible, that outfit's the worst. I was just like, oh, looking good. And then I continued walking and then I realized like, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think liking who I am has helped. My marriage is better. I used to say like, oh, my drinking doesn't affect my husband in any way. And it did. Um, I just like couldn't realize it. But I got a better job 
after I quit. So now I work at one of the companies that made one of the vaccines, which is super cool to be involved in. Um, and yeah, I think just every single aspect of my life, mental health, physical health, um, financially, my relationships, everything is better. Fantastic. Um, so go, what do you, I suppose going back to the reason why you were drinking, did you feel at the time that that added to your life or was it to kind of shut off feelings, you know, kind of, why do you feel you continue that, that cycle of drinking, you know, was it like a false belief that actually I need this or this makes me feel good? What, what do you feel was kind of the thought process there? Yeah, I believed that alcohol was the only thing that was good. I thought everything else was bad and alcohol was my best friend. It helped in every way. Um, without alcohol, my life would just be boring and miserable forever. So it was limiting beliefs, which is the same thing when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I thought um, like fasting and, and like doing a ridiculous amount of cardio. I thought those were like the only things that were helping or like tracking obsessively like in abs and you have these beliefs that it's helping you, but it's actually the thing that's like hurting you. So yeah, it was definitely those beliefs. How did you talk about fasting and excessive cardio and alcohol what were the kind of words that you would use when it was discussed do you mean pre-sobriety or post-sobriety yeah well let's let's do both we'll start with pre yeah so pre-sobriety um i i was fat i was a loser i was weak I couldn't control myself. If only I could be a stronger person, I could figure this out. It wasn't the type of diet that I was trying to use. It was me. I was the problem. Um, so in my sobriety, <clears throat> excuse me, I have found things that actually work for me. So I found that I don't like to track my food. I don't like to do cardio machines at the gym. And it's not it's not me. It was the methods that I was trying to apply to my life. Um, and then just body image too. Like I've learned, I've learned self-respect through not drinking. And when you don't respect yourself, you treat yourself horribly. And before like mozzarella sticks and pizza made me feel happy and better. And now that I have self-respect, I see that those foods actually, sometimes they do make me feel nice, um, like occasionally, but usually they don't make me feel that good physically. Um, so it's just a natural change in, in how I eat and behave because of all of this self-respect. And again, it's that, it's that self-talk, isn't it? And that's something we have to uh help people with educate people on you know because people can be so critical of themselves and talk to them so harshly and that's kind of one of our things is like speak to yourself like you would do your best friend because you'd never say that like oh you're fat you're not trying hard enough you need to do better you know oh, but these are all the conversations that come on with people you know people have you know like you said people have some mozzarella sticks and like oh i've failed i've ruined it again i'm self-sabotaging somebody's trying really hard you're like what would you say to your friend you'd be like don't worry about it just had some mozzarella sticks just crack on you just get back to it it's understandable so that that self-talk and again and that could feed that cycle of 
you know, feeling terrible, which then causes you to do the exact thing that you're trying to avoid. So yeah, it's massive. Um, again, you're testing those, those beliefs as well. It's huge, huge. Yeah, yeah. And I used to say um, that I drank because I hated myself and then I hated myself because I drank and I try to apply exactly what you just said um, to like shameful memories from my drinking. Like I said, I humiliated myself all over Europe. I still feel really bad about that. Mm. And I think about it and I'm like, like, get, get out of my head. Like, I don't want to think about you, but then friends that I have in the sober community share some embarrassing moments from their past. And it's shocking because I admire them so much and I think so highly of them. And then I try to think like, well, I don't think she's a loser or a bad person because she did that. So why am I a loser? Because I did this. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good advice. Like make it not you and then you can be a little bit kinder. Yeah, massive. Go on, Joe, you're going to say something? No, no, all good. You've forgotten it. Um, but I think things like that, Again, you know, we're, we're big fans of learning from the past but not beating yourself about it. So the fact that you've got those, I suppose, kind of feelings or memories, whether they're positive or negative, you can use those as kind of fuel for the future because you just want to be like, I never want to go back to being that person. And then even you're kind of measuring backwards, looking back and going like, that's how I used to behave. This is a, such a, you know, night and day improvement. But I think they're really useful tools to be just like, I never want to go back to that. That is why I'll never drink again because I don't ever want to feel like that. You know, we talk about kind of push and pull goals and that's definitely a, a push goal, isn't it? Like I never want to go back to, you know, feeling like I've embarrassed myself again, which is uh, huge, a, a massive success. Yeah, and I'm confident that as long as I don't drink, I don't have to humiliate myself ever again. Good. What are, what would you say then if we look at, so our typical clientele, the main struggle they would have would be emotional eating. So it'd be using, you know, similar similarities between what you're talking about in regards to using food to deal with difficult emotions or difficult feelings. What's the crossover there then? Or what advice would you give those people? Yeah, so it's it's very similar, whether you're using food or you're using alcohol or something else. It's doing like the same kind of thing for you. It's just a different um substance or tool. So what has helped me is um, therapy and working on actually handling my emotions. When I was emotionally eating, everything I felt was too big for me to feel. Um, and this is something that I talk about a lot in terms of sobriety, but it applies to everything. Because when you don't understand even the feeling that you're feeling, you don't know why you're feeling that way and you feel overwhelmed and out of control and alcohol or food or shopping or whatever brings your heightened emotion down to a manageable level. And that's why we do it. And that's why I used to binge. I used to have like a scheduled Saturday morning binge when I knew I would be alone and it would get rid of all of these feelings of overwhelm and it would calm me down. And I thought that that helped because it let me manage my emotions, but I needed to actually work on the emotions that I was feeling. So if you're feeling like super out of control and like you don't even know what to do, you're so overwhelmed, that's something that can be worked on in therapy. Um, and when 
when you stop drinking or you stop emotionally eating, feelings pop up because you've never actually dealt with them, even if you feel like you were using food or alcohol to deal. Um, like for me, I had so much rage that popped up in my sobriety and I felt really overwhelmed again and out of control. And I didn't know why I was feeling that way. And what has helped me deal with feelings in a healthier way is to get rid of them and not try to like hide them or push them away with food or alcohol. Instead, if I'm angry, I will utilize that anger and I'll go on a rage walk or I'll rage clean my kitchen um, or I'll go to the gym and like lift the heaviest thing that I can find and like always setting PRs in that instance, but just like get it, whatever the feeling is like do, do something with that energy and get rid of it. And that brings the overwhelm and out of control feeling down to where you can then handle it and you're not stuffing it away or hiding it. Rage walks sounds quite intense. <laughs> oh my God. People <laughs> probably laughed at me. You got to do the arms when you like, when get, you rage walk. Way, like get out of my goddamn way. <laughs> It helps, though. (laughs) Jillian's on a rage walk. Um, (laughs) So I suppose kind of going back to your story, what was the the real kind of turning? But obviously you had a lot going on, like you said, you know, the the anxiety and the suicidal thoughts. But what was like the, you know, if this was going on for seven years, what was the the turning point where you're just like, this is it now? And I suppose, did you go and seek help straight away or is it something you tried to do on your own? Yeah, I was very stubborn. And I could do it all by myself. I wasn't like other people. Um, I didn't need to go to meetings or like do anything. So I just like did it all by myself. I didn't seek out any kind of community. And then um, a few months into my sobriety, quarantine happened and we got sent home from work. And I was like, well, this is probably a good time to do some therapy since I'm home. And no one's going to know if I do it or not. So I started doing therapy then. And then I started checking out meetings and um, I had always been on sober Facebook groups and those were really helpful. And there's Facebook groups for everything. If you don't have a problem with alcohol, whatever your struggle is, there's a Facebook group for it. Um, Instagram community is amazing, but yeah, I think seeking out people who understand what you've gone through to see that you're not alone really helps because we think that like our suffering is so unique and no one's ever experienced what we've experienced. And when I finally started sharing, I was terrified. Like, you know, people would call the police and be like, there's some crazy suicidal girl over here. You guys got to pick her up. And so many people reached out to me and they were like, Hey, same. I got very suicidal too. Or they had attempted something and fortunately it didn't work out. And that made me realize like, wow, maybe other people have anxiety when they're drinking too. And I started looking into all of these things and realizing like, it's not me, it was the alcohol. And I think you can apply that to to any kind of thing that you're struggling with. It's not like a reflection of who you are. Again, it it falls into that people being hypercritical of themselves, you know, and not wanting to reach out and feeling like they're on it alone. And, you know, often when we do live videos or put a post or do podcasts, you know, you'll get people messages or clients just saying like, 
I feel like you're talking about me or that really resonated with me. And it's because these are common things that go on. But so often you just think it's just me. And like you said, when you share that, that story in the circle or in the community, then you realize, and like you said, you know, you can get, you can see other people that you think have got their shit together, got their lives. And you're like, Oh, look up to this person. Then you find out actually they've made mistakes. They've slipped up. They've done all these things just like me. And you know, that is, I think it's really nice. It's probably not a nice thing to say, but it's uh, reassuring. That's probably a better way of putting it, isn't it? To be like, actually, everyone's human. Uh, and, you know, we're made to make mistakes. It's just learning from those and kind of adjusting our course as we go, which obviously you, you've you done and are absolutely smashed it. So what advice would you give someone who is maybe using alcohol as a crutch? Yeah, I would say that wherever you currently are, Um, things can get a lot worse. And I don't believe that like everybody has to stop drinking. I don't think everybody has an addiction. Um, I think some people, they choose to cope with alcohol and then they can eventually choose to work on whatever they're trying to cope with and they don't need alcohol anymore. Um, But you can choose to do that before you get to my point where you have to drink. And you have no choice. Um, And one drink, like you just can't stop when you have one. Um, So I would encourage you to just not be afraid to face whatever you have um, experienced in your life, whatever you're trying to hide, whatever you're trying to deal with. Because hiding from things, like they don't go away, they just wait and they wait and they get worse and they wait for you to be able to deal with them or to not be able to run from them anymore. And the longer you wait, the worse, whatever this problem is, we'll get. So um, therapy, community, even just like sharing on Facebook under like a fake account or something, just like being present and seeing that your struggles are not unique and other people have dealt with the same thing, whatever you're dealing with. Brilliant. Solid advice. Joe, have you got anything to add? Ask. Good. Thank you very much. Good. Right. Well, really powerful story, you know, inspirational stories. And we really appreciate you not coming over from Boston. You haven't come over from Boston. You zoomed in from Boston um, to share that with us. So if people want to get some more information from you, I know you've got your podcast, give it a plug. Tell everyone where they can hear more of your uh, dulcet tones and lovely accent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think your accent is the lovely one. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> it's definitely not. <laughs> uh, so if you search for Sober Powered, you can find me um, on Instagram. It's my website, my Facebook group. It's my podcast. I'm on YouTube. Um, and then I can direct you to some resources for whatever you're struggling with, whether it's food or alcohol. Or something else so if you need help just reach out right thank you so much for joining us and giving up your quality time and sharing your stories sorry we didn't get to see the cat but maybe <laughs> maybe next time so thank you very much for joining us on the podcast really appreciate it thank you so much for having me